0: This is Talking Mule Deer with your hosts Steve Belinda and Jody Stemler. Talking Mule Deer takes you on a journey to learn more about the Mule Deer Foundation, mule deer and black-tailed deer biology and management, tips and tactics for hunting, conservation issues, and even features some of our corporate and celebrity partners. Now, let's start talking mule deer. All right, we're back with the MDF podcast from the Western Hunting and Conservation Expo. I'm Jody Stemler,
1: and I'm Steve Belinda. And right now, we're going to be talking about the wonderful state of Colorado. We've got with us Marty Holmes. Uh, the Mule Deer Foundation's Regional Director, and Andy Holland, who's the big game coordinator for Colorado Parks and Wild. Welcome, gentlemen.
2: Good to be here. Thanks.
3: Nice to have.
1: So, Colorado, mule deer, Uh, those two things go sort of hand-in-hand, don't they? I mean, when you think about states that you have the opportunity to hunt nice big mule deer, usually Colorado's at the top of the list. Andy, how many folks come to Colorado on a yearly basis to hunt?
3: just for mule deer we we all of our licenses are limited and so we sell I believe 88,000 licenses last year not just mule deer but for deer including some whitetails on the eastern plains
1: Uh, and that's all limited quota draw right it used to be over the counter correct me
3: correct in 1999 we went totally limited
1: cool and so what you do is you through your season settings you're providing for opportunity or quality and you know what's the difference there
3: well it's a it's hopefully both and it's a blend depending on local herd management plans from around the state and so the way the way we manage all big game species and in, in this case mule deer is through uh, local herd management plans and so the communities and our local staff work together to set the objectives for those hunting units and so our our objectives may range from 25 to 30 bucks per hunter dose post-season to um, 40 to 45 bucks per hundred does postseason, And so we have a, at the end of all of that built into that is a pretty wide range of opportunities for people, depending on what they're interested in. whether it's drawing every year or waiting for a chance at a, at a hunt with fewer hunters in the field.
1: So, so you use the number of bucks per a hundred does as an indicator of how much pressure you're going to allow, how much harvest in an area, but also the potential to grow some bigger animals, right?
3: Yes, exactly. As as the post-hunt buck to doe ratio increases, you have a larger number of animals that are older not being harvested. So essentially, as you get to 30, 35 bucks per hundred does post-hunt, that's about eight or 10 mature bucks post-hunt in that herd. And so it's a It's a measure of of harvest rate, really, is what it is, but that translates to hunting opportunity or more conservative license setting.
1: And Marty, how does the public, do they understand this? How do they react to that? Do they embrace this sort of approach to uh, mule deer in Colorado?
2: I I honestly don't think that they understand as much as they need to understand about the workings of the (laughs) allocation of licensing. I don't know, is that a fair statement, Andy? I mean, in, in a lot of Conversations and meetings. Uh, I, I still think that there's a, there's a large segment that's only concerned about whether I got a tag or not. I mean, is that fair? I think bit. it is fair. Is fair Actually, saving?
3: we're we're we just went through a, a big internal process to look at our our public involvement portion of herd management management plans because most people are really interested in kind of where the rubber meets the road. How many how many licenses are in the quota, and if they're going to draw. And we ch- we really want more people involved in the bigger picture herd management planning effort to have input in how we manage these herds we manage for the public and for the hunters and and so by having more input in in the herd management planning portion that translates to license setting and and differential harvest rates and all that stuff that I, I kind of agree we we have a lot of hunters that um, that do trust that we're we're managing appropriately for, for the big game animals in Colorado, but we definitely want them to be more involved in, in, in management planning.
1: Now, Jody, I know you're from Colorado, and you apply for TAGS. Do you, uh, with given your background in conservation, I, I, I believe you understand this stuff, but, you know, is there something we can be doing at the Mule Deer Foundation to help people get more involved? I mean, you know, speak to me as a resident of Colorado.
0: You know, it, I, it's hard to say um, because I do understand what you're going through from a deer management perspective. So our family gets that, but it still can be really hard when you're not drawing that tag year after year or you're collecting pref- preference points and the preference point creep goes up and you can't draw that place that you had last year because it drew at nine and you now have nine points and now it's drawn at 10. That can be really difficult. And But having those opportunities for the public to come in and, and, and be part of that process and understand that. So if there's ways that, uh, that, that the, the public, and maybe this is something we need to do down the line as well on podcasts is talk through about exactly how this process works. It can be tough from, um, you know, because all you want to do is go out and hunt your mule deer, um, and, and but yet at the same time, you also want to see some big animals. You want to have the opportunity to get out there um, and, and hopefully harvest a trophy buck. We still have them, but it, it it can be hard when you're not drawing that tag.
1: Yeah, I mean I see the pictures every year, and Colorado produces some whoppers. But Andy, I think it was said one time in one of our mule deer working group meetings that people want more bucks and want bigger bucks. Is you know is that a sentiment that you hear all the time?
3: Yeah, I mean when we survey when we survey hunters, it, you're exactly right. This, it, unless you really pin people down and make them make choices in the surveys, which we do try and do, they want more uh, more deer. And bigger bucks, and they want to hunt every year, and then they probably um, don't want very many peop- other people out there too. So we and have. You to, can't have it's all of that <laughs> all at the same time. <laughs> it's a, it's it, a, th- like th-
0: those three or four yeah. are not uh,
1: non-competitive.
0: There, yeah, <laughs> okay.
3: it, it pick two. Right yes, here's right. the four options. Pick two. Well, That's how do
1: it. how do folks feel about? Do, do you shoot those? In we Colorado? do
3: in yeah. herds that are at or above population objectives. We absolutely do, and it's a very, female harvest is a very important component of our, our deer and elk management. So it sounds like you provide
1: quite a bit opportunity and quite a bit good chance to to you know have a chance at some larger quality animals
3: yeah and again we have such a wide range of buck doe ratio objectives around the state that i think if people are willing to take a step back and look at the range and the options they have they can navigate that but like jody said um, it's a moving target on the points and and for especially the higher um, higher demand, more limited opportunity hunts. Uh, demand far outstrips supply. Just because there's all these trade-offs that that we deal with as as wildlife managers and as public and as hunters. You know, it's it's all trade-offs. With do I want to hunt more often, or do I want fewer people in the field when I get there? And do I, am I willing to wait? And you know, hopefully, hopefully people are willing to. Or, or able to hunt other species if they for some reason didn't draw a deer license that year you know like over-the-counter elk um or or a doe license or something like that or turn
0: back or the, the yeah, reissue. reissue tags where mm-hmm. somebody turns a tag back yeah. sure
3: yeah so, so well, well but i'm but real glad
1: people like marty are working on this because i've worked with him for a few years and you know he's top quality and I, i'm Andy? or Andy. Yeah, sorry. Marty, you too. Sorry. Oh, the sorry. About yeah.
0: Yeah. They're it's all safe. good. I didn't know I had another job. But, but, <laughs> we all, but the other part that is important to recognize is Colorado has had a declining population. We have the Westlope Mule Deer Initiative that um, has grown to, to try to work there. There's some places where they're doing fine. And last year the Gunnison Basin had a tremendously difficult winter, um, yeah. lots of deep snow, and, and there was a lot of winter kill uh, and road kill because they were pushed down to the highways. So, so that's another recognition is this is a very dynamic issue. Population dynamics within a mule deer herd can change. Well, and
2: human population and human too. Population, and, population, and he was yep. talking about what people would desire, what hunters and sportsmen that put in for licenses desire you got to remember that we're, we're a high growth state right now. I mean, the last commission meeting, there was a presentation made by the CPW's uh, information office that uh, said that there's 8,000 people a month coming into the Denver area on an average. So we've got a lot wow. of growth, so that means it's, more. I see it. And I'm not saying. Oh, you do, and I'm uh, and I'm i not. Live it. <laughs> and I'm not. And I'm not saying everyone. And all never those gonna.
1: folks want to go well, up into the high country. Well, into no, Mule well, here's area.
2: what it
0: is: is also they're building into some of these important range areas. That was just getting areas. to that.
2: Not only are they applying, not all of them, of course, are yeah. applying for licenses, but a certain percentage we have to assume will be. But then, now, yeah, listen, you do have to have housing too. So for those people, and that's where some of those uh, houses are being built. So. Yeah, we've got a lot. It is very dynamic, as we three of us here know that being in Colorado, it's there's a lot of a lot of factors that uh, we we're are impacting our herds.
1: Now, Marty, so, you were telling me earlier today about some things you've been involved in with MDF with CPW uh, on mule deer, the transportation issue, the mule deer. Tell us a little bit more about you know your involvement, and Andy, we'd love to hear more about you know some of the recent things that have happened on those issues
2: well i I can talk about uh, the you know i'm I'm proud to serve on some really good committees uh in colorado i'm on the uh, uh, sportsman's committee round sportsmen's round table i'm serving a second term on that now and that's
1: a round table
2: to do what well it's it's really to provide uh, feedback to colorado parks and wildlife uh, management uh, on uh, issues as they come up in the in the state of colorado so, uh, so is, you is act a, as, a, as like as a, a representative. As a representative. So uh, I,
1: if I had an issue, I could call you and sure. say, Marty,
2: I want you to take this to the next round 10. Yeah, sure. And, and there's uh, 18 of us in the state that are appointed by, uh, by the director through the, through the process with the agency. Uh, we have some uh, regional uh, caucuses or regional groups uh, that are also part of that, uh, that, that have representatives on there as well. Uh, but I serve on that. I'm uh, in the second year term, like I said. Um, also on the uh, uh, was called the Co-op, the Colorado uh, Outdoor Partnership. It's a, a group that was formed a couple of years ago under uh, Director Broshide's vision to uh, to get folks talking at the table about uh, uh, the impacts of uh, outdoor recreation and this growth in Colorado uh, and the impacts on the wildlife, um, on wildlife populations, wildlife habitat, particularly, uh, and. Uh, again that group is to discuss how we can find funding from other more non-typical non-consumptive groups not just through licenses through so mdf
1: is definitely adding their voice to the conversation discussion i'm I'm one of actually
2: out of 40 on that committee uh, there's only three of us that are actually with the um, with the uh, pay to play if you will call that groups that are actually you funding and paying for licenses and
0: funding is a tough issue you guys have been um yeah that's another topic
2: we'll get into i guess so that's so that group uh, i'm part of and then uh I'm on the steering committee for that group, so I am the uh, only sportsman's representative on that. We have about a seven-person steering committee that uh, just met here recently. So I, I have a voice on there along with the groups from the outdoor off-road uh, use uh, folks, uh, representatives, and uh, uh, public uh, lands groups like Trust for Public Lands. So there's a, a small core group that's on that steering committee. And then, uh, you know, and that, but yeah, that's, that's kind of where I was headed with that is just the you know the uh, the issues that we we deal with there in the Colorado. Awesome. That, are, awesome. that are, so it's it's kind of broad. I mean, there's a lot of this stuff that's impacting uh, you know the agency. And and just actually yesterday, um,
3: representing a, a a new steering committee that that is just forming actually, we we invited uh, Mielder Foundation and and Marty in particular to represent Mielder Foundation and and hunters on a. Uh, wildlife and Transportation Steering Committee in Colorado that's just being formed, and that is, Jody mentioned the West Slope Mule Deer Strategy, and so one of the key, um, one of the key, I, I think important things that came out of that West Slope Mule Deer Strategy was a rec- recognizing a need to improve collaboration between Colorado Parks and Wildlife and Colorado Department of Transportation, to the end of um, reducing highway collisions, improving. Human safety and at the same time maintaining connectivity and wildlife uh, corridors through these busy travel um, travel ways that are just getting busier in Colorado. I mean, it's a a need. And so um, we had a uh, Wildlife Transportation Summit last June that was sort of kicked this whole effort off, and we're keeping this momentum following the Highway 9. Um, overpasses right. that we're really excited about. Yeah,
0: let's let's talk about that because I drive that corridor a lot. We sagegrass hunt out there and spend a lot of time up in the northwest corridor part of the state. So Highway Nine used to have tremendous tremendous mortality of, of deer um, that were migrating down across the the highway there. And really? and through a partnership with the with Cdot right and a private landowner private in the landowners. area, we've added we've added some underpasses, overpasses, and fenced. If I'm not mistaken I've just seen something recently that it's a 90% reduction in mortality yes, on that reduction. Real I, significant
3: reduction. There's two I believe there's two overpasses and six underpasses in that roughly 10-mile stretch.
0: And it's pretty impressive. I've seen pictures, I've seen pictures of the deer crossing on those underpasses and I've seen a picture of a, a, a bull, moose, moose, moose. Yeah. Moving yeah.
3: Across oh wow.
1: One of those. That's yeah. pretty cool. I top. know I know I drive from bags down to rifle quite often and I, I would love to see something done on that stretch of highway. Well, that's and yeah.
0: and on the flip side when we were out elk hunting way out out by Craig and Maybell this year driving in the evening after hunting boy that was that's scary times uh, because those animals are moving.
3: That's exactly where we're trying to go on this on this steering uh, this there's a steering committee and then there's a whole bunch of technical committees and one of those is designed around um prioritizing where the crossing structure should go and feasibility and then public outreach is another one so it's a big effort that we're really excited about trying to maintain this momentum and continue these um these well, and they're not cheap. Uh, yeah. You know,
0: it's a very expensive process, and it's got to be. You know, you're you're trying to identify those very particular areas where something where that investment of the millions of dollars it takes to do that. Well, it's
2: encouraging uh, that. That, the, that we've had that kind of success we've seen on the Highway 9 project because at $52 million, it's it's really nice to know that we've had a 90% reduction of mortalities from from initial initial numbers and, I've heard. And the uh, human safety aspect as yeah, well. Of course, of course we're we're
3: worried about the wildlife part but that's oh. why this that's why we have CDOT we're working closely absolutely. with. Right.
1: Well you know what what excites me about that is you're not just talking about it anymore. You're trying to get to action to address these things. No. That are identified. Work with the publics. Work with the landowners. Work with the agencies to help mule deer and other wildlife. Oh. And um,
0: so, another hot topic in Colorado. We we touched on it briefly. Is um, is, is you guys your your budget's tough? You've had um, a number of meetings recently talking about the the house strapped yard, which is understandable. Most of your dollars um, for the wildlife side of it comes from hunter and angler dollars. Um, but, but it's tough, so you've been going around and talking about a license increase, um, and, and I know you're moving forward with that. Can you tell us a little bit about what you learned when you went out and did your outreach groups, your focus groups, and, and what's going on with that, that movement right now?
3: Yeah, so we're, we're excited that we have a sustainability bill um, uh, that should be introduced next week, I believe on the 13th, and... When you say
0: sustainability, it's tell us a little bit well, about it. Well, I
3: think the technical title is the Future Generations um, Sustainability Bill. And what it is is it's a, a resident license fee increase um, for hunting and fishing and park passes, and that is going to roll out. Um, like I said, I think on the 13th it goes to committee next week. Senate a- Finance. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and we're really the 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 bottom line is we haven't had a resident license fee increase since 2005, and all of our costs have gone up. As you can, if you, well, that's uh, normal. Your I mean, costs everything are, goes, every, goes up everywhere. Everything so. we do is costing more. And so, just to maintain the same programs that we've had, um, we essentially need um, to have an increase in that revenue.
0: Well, and it's important. I mean, I know there's a lot of people who say, "Well, you just because it became Colorado Parks and Wildlife, not the Division of Wildlife anymore, that that's part of the issue." And it's not. That's not. That's not where the money is. The, the money crunch is coming from. There's challenges. It's the cost of business, doing business, and doing well and doing right for the sportsmen who are paying into it is a big part of what they need to do.
3: For sure. In fact, the parks and wildlife sides actually maintain separate financing. We have to, for um, Pittman-Robertson funds, we have to keep keep those funds separate.
1: Now, Marty, I'm assuming MDF's in the middle of this and they're supporting.
2: Right. I, I was on the initial uh, sustainability when it was called the sustainability uh, bill that was uh, was put forward through the legislature last April, April 17, that, that was mm-hmm. uh, defeated. Uh, it was Uh, probably a little bit too encompassing there's probably too much in that in that bill uh, that's been kind of uh, pared down I guess is the best way to say it this go around for what's called now the future generations bill and again it's going to Senate Finance but uh, yes I was on that initial initial effort and a lot of the outreach meetings that were held and around parts of the state Um, and uh, uh, so I've, I've been tied into that quite a bit I'm pretty I've seen a lot of the budgetary figures and I know uh, exactly what andy's talking about is in fact the truth of how the monies are divided by the parks and wildlife uh, uh sides of the of the equation and and also seeing their um, their deficits that they've got which is not uncommon we're not this is around the west i mean why right. as you know in wyoming and other states are facing the same kinds of issues and costs of everything keep going up so uh this is this is an attempt to try to bring the uh, the resident licensing and a little more in line and tied to the consumer price index as non-resident licenses are. So that that was done several years ago, I guess. I don't remember what year, Andy. Well, but, I think you get a tremendous
1: opportunity for the money you spend for a hunting and fishing license and a park pass. And, you know, good luck to you guys and good luck to Director Broshide getting that through this year. I know that money will be well spent. Yeah,
2: we'll find out Tuesday. Yeah.
1: Now, another issue that's come up recently is I heard about a shed law. You know, Tell me,
3: Andy, what's going
1: on here? You know, are you going to stop people from collecting antlers or what?
3: So in January, at the January Colorado Parks and Wildlife Commission meeting, our commission approved uh, shed antler gathering season that um, it, this year it will start March 1st. Um, but in the into the future, um, it's going to be a January 1 to April 30 shed antler gathering closure on public lands west of I-25. And so private lands it, it doesn't it doesn't affect private lands and it doesn't affect the eastern plains, it's west of I twenty five. So what
1: prompted this? I mean
3: Well, the the main thing we're trying to do is reduce disturbance of wintering big game animals. These animals are under nutritional stress and every um, every time they're disturbed, they're they're not foraging and they're not resting conserving um, body fat to make it through the winter and so and
0: they're using energy to
1: doink
3: off and yeah. get away from you so, yes right? for so sure so,
0: so what you're asking
1: is basically to leave them alone for a while so that we can carry them forward to the next year
3: exactly yep the uh, we, we we fully support the activity of people getting out and gathering shed antlers we're just trying to keep them n- we're just trying to not have that activity happen when the deer especially deer but also elk are still there on that winter range being disturbed, like Jody said, losing v- valuable body fat. I mean, they survive the winter by by not using fat body fat unnecessarily. They can't right. just go and grab an extra sandwich if they if they take a good run. So, I mean, the the goal of that is is to affect the portion of recreation on public lands that our wildlife commission has the authority to do, which in this case is gathering of wildlife. Um, antler and horns, I should say, it includes includes horns. Um, and so, again, it's January, January, and it opens May 1. Those dates are the same as western Wyoming. Wyoming has had that shed season for um, a fair, fair amount of time. And so we're trying to sync up the dates um, because they both biologically make sense, and they make sense from a, a standpoint of, you know, that People moving around right. for opening days and things like that. And you're
1: also respecting private property rights by only making it apply on public land.
3: Correct.
0: Now I remember seeing at one point that you're talking about a shed hunting license as well. Is that something that's still moving forward, or is that mm-hmm. uh, was that moved on? at that Our
3: point? commission discussed that, but in the end, they decided um, let's start with the season, and. And we can continue to discuss the commercial aspects and the, the aspects of, of actually a license to participate in that, at a, you know, at a later time.
1: And Marty, how did uh, MDF members react to that?
2: Uh, I don't. I could honestly tell you about the number of members. I haven't really talked to a lot of members. No. in time. really haven't. I mean, that's something you'd really have to. It, it would takes a lot of time to just discuss that with people at banquets we haven't. Been a, had a banquet season, so oh. I, I, I know that I was up there at, at the commission meeting and Andy, in fact Andy was at the back of the room with me and, and I went ahead and testified and uh, along with uh, the other groups that were there, many other similar conservation groups and uh, and saying, yes, this is something that makes sense. It's not like Colorado's the first state to do this. I mean, Wyoming and other surrounding states have the similar similar dates uh, in place. So it, it, it does make sense. I mean, it's not going to do anybody. Uh, any good uh, to be trying to hunt a big game if they're if they're not out there and they haven't survived because of uh, a, a situation that was created that could have been avoided. So winter's bad enough. We can't we can't uh, we can't control that uh, how hard a winter is but we could sure control it it seems seems it's a it's a
1: small price to pay to ensure the healthy mule deer herd's moving forward.
2: And, and I think that's why largely,
3: so far at least, um, we've gotten really good support from, from people that care about game animals, and, and, and they understand the stresses that they go through.
2: Yeah, it's 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 not something that's just been recently documented.
3: And I think part of our concern has been just the increasing popularity. It's one of those things where as if a few people do it, so far it hasn't really risen to the level of major concerns for, for herd health and survival, but it's increasing in popularity. There's getting to be more and more people out, and it, it's it just, you know, Colorado is growing, like Marty said. It's just getting to the point where things are different times have changed and we're we're having to try and adapt to protect wintering big game well, the, the oh.
2: techniques are changing too i mean it's all the way for 20 years ago it was a guy out there just uh, walking around or maybe on horseback and now we've got uh you know horn antler sniffing dogs and you know drones and i mean there's it's gone to a different level and that uh, that has also presented some unique challenges that probably another reason why this decision was uh was well, it sounds line, like you guys I are think. on
1: top of things down there. Yeah. i got one question for mm-hmm. all three of you. Has anyone come off the street and given you guys a hug randomly? <laughs>
2: <laughs> hug a hunter. Hug <laughs> a hunter. That hug, that a, hug, hug, hug a hunter, hunter campaign, I, That's you a, know, yep. I,
1: it's a great campaign. It's, it's a thank you to the hunters and what we contribute to the conservation. But everyone I meet in Colorado, no one's told me they've actually had a random person come Nobody's up. Nobody's come up and
0: hug me. me. No. No, nope. well, well, they're probably know would what they're hug talking you, about you know. That's all the time <laughs> They hug you all
2: I, the time I, yeah. I'll, uh, I'll think about that Steve That's a good one I might have to start wearing my hunter orange <laughs> vest when I, when I go into Applebee's Or you know I don't know Go into the Walmart You know I'll put my orange vest on and, uh, Non-hunting time of year And see if somebody comes up and hugs me
1: Well I know <laughs> we're, we're, we're winding down here um, Marty, Andy we want to thank you And Where can we go to get more information About the Mule Deer Foundation in Colorado And uh, the Colorado Parks and Wildlife
2: well, our uh, website—you uh, can go to muledeer.org and uh, look on Colorado. Uh, you can find my name and contact information there, uh, along with it's, John Nestor, our state chair.
0: Yep, and see where all of your chapters are as well. Yeah, the
2: chapters, and uh, that's probably the—you know—the best the best thing. I, you know, honestly, I, I. These things, a lot of things like we've just talked about, they're they're very complicated. I found out I've, I've learned more in the last several years working with with Andy and some of the great t- people on the staff of CPW than I than I have in the previous uh, 20 years, uh, and it's very dynamic as we've talked about with these topics. Uh, the, the average person today is once just in a 30 second soundbite, and these issues are not something you can explain most of them in 30 seconds. No, so yeah. and, and so I, I prefer I would like encourage people to, to call and uh, with the Magazine every uh, other issue, I have my article in there. Uh, I've had some compliments about you know the the articles and the technical nature some of the things that I've talked about, like. You know Issue that'll be coming out next will be from the shed uh, issue and and what happened at the January commission meeting. So I I prefer to talk to people and if they're really interested to take the time to talk to me about it or Andy or any of the other people at Parks and Wildlife because you just you just can't read this in a real short email or. But you're available and we can
1: find your information on the muledeer.org website. Andy, what about Cardinal Parks and
3: Wildlife? Yeah, we have a pretty elaborate website that hopefully you can. Just search and figure out. Should exactly we give out Bob's personal <laughs> cell phone number? Here. <laughs> that w- wouldn't be good for me, probably. <laughs> but I mean, and I'll just, I'll just, I'd like to, you know, extend that same thanks back, back to Marty. That we, we can't do this alone. And any of these efforts, like I mentioned, that steering committee with wild tra- wildlife transportation and the other ones that Marty's serving on, if they're just governmental entities on on these these committees and these boards and these processes. It, it, it just doesn't plug in the, the, the whole extent of, of of public that are out there that should be involved. And you guys bring to the table a, a pretty impressive outreach, communication, awareness. That you know, it's one thing if somebody from um, the state says says, "Oh yeah, you guys should you guys should really pay attention to this. It's important." But it's another thing if if somebody like Marty and Milder Foundation is also saying the same thing, and we're on message, and maybe. At that point people are like wow this is important i can't just worry about my own um hunt or my own um my own effort that i have going on because everybody's busy like we all have um work and family demands but um, i think together and and through other partners we can raise awareness for a lot of these things and i think in the end once we start working together they, they are solvable
1: so go to the colorado parks and Wildlife website or the mule deer foundation website Find the information, outreach, and you know I would just ask folks listening, you know, get involved, give a little back. It's going to be your, you know, your efforts, and you know the three of you in Colorado. I, I just want to say the future is very bright in Colorado with folks like you working on this issue. So uh, from the expo floor, this is uh, we're going to be signing off now. Andy, Marty, thank you, as Steve Belinda, and we'll talk to you next time. Thank you guys.
3: Good talking to you. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having us. Have a good
0: one. Thanks for talking mule deer with Steve Belinda and Jody Stemler. Mule Deer Foundation is the only conservation group in North America dedicated to restoring, improving, and protecting mule deer and black-tailed deer and their habitat. MDF is a strong voice for hunters in access, wildlife management, and conservation policy issues. To find out more, visit www.muledeer.org and stay tuned for the next episode of Talking Mule Deer.